Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Mickleifer Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, how many of you know exactly what a court artist does? Well, I suppose he or she does what it says on the tin, drawing sketches in court, usually but not exclusively, of defendants in criminal trials. Although sometimes it could be in uh, civil court actions, which often involve high-profile individuals. You might get sketches in situations like that as well. In years gone by, it was a common feature of courts right across the Western world. Uh, It provided a sense of place and in the manner that artists are capable of, perhaps a sense of the countenance of a defendant, often, as I say, in high profile trials. And, you know, I think it's fair to say also that those kind of sketches can be more telling uh, than perhaps a photograph might be of in terms of giving an impression of the subject. In any event, we know that photos can't be taken in court. Now, the court artists were relatively common in the heyday of newspapers right up until the later decades of the last century, simply because there was a market for such illustrations. But, as we all know, the media has changed massively with the advent of the internet and far fewer resources are applied in this area. Today, we have, as far as I'm aware anyway, only one such court artist in this country. Mike O'Donnell is uh, from Tralee in County Kerry and he does this for a living. He currently has an exhibition of his work on display in Listowel. Most recently, Mike was in the news following the high-profile trial of Jerry Hutch, the man known as the Monk, for the murder that occurred in the Regency Hotel in Dublin back in 2016. Hutch was acquitted of that charge in the Special Criminal Court. In the aftermath of the trial, he sought out Mike O'Donnell and invited him to tea in his home. We'll talk to Mike about that and all else to do with what by today's standards is an unusual occupation. Mike, you're very welcome. Thanks, Mick. I'm not too bad at all, Mike. Listen, we'll start at the start of your long journey to the Special Criminal Court. Where did you grow up and how did you develop an interest in, in art in general, Mike? Yeah, so I, I'm, thanks, Mike. I'm, I'm a Kerry man, a Trilly man. And uh, I, my dad was an artist and his uh, hobby, that was his passion, really. And he encouraged me since I, since I was, I suppose I could hold a pen or a, a crane. And... I always felt that the most challenging thing to do was to draw a person. We were, I suppose, grew up in a beautiful part of Ireland, part of the country, and um, he drew a lot of mountains and rivers and lakes and seascapes and so on, But and would put the odd character in. And uh, when I grew up, there was actually, next door to the room where, where I live, uh, was a huge mural, actually. It only occurred to me the other day that it was covered over by wallpaper. <laughs> but um, that was probably the first piece of art I ever saw. But I was very interested in in drawing people because they're they're very challenging, and you know from Kerry people, my young, my brothers, you wouldn't sit down at all for me. So and I couldn't do it at mass, and I couldn't do it at school because art was considered very back in the day, kind of a subversive and silly thing to do um, by most people, and especially in schools. 
Uh, so I, I think I was watching Kojak and I saw somebody drawing in court a, a, a sus- suspect or else it was probably developing a, you know, uh, an image of some some suspect for the police. And I said, Jesus, great idea. So I ended up going up to the court, Trilly Courthouse as a young fella many times because I knew people would sit down and uh, I was drawing there, happy out. Then going away when the lad, the lads wouldn't sit, wouldn't sit for me at all. So it's it's an interesting start, Mike, and as well the idea you say, and I I think we'd be of a, a similar age, um, not not on the light side of middle aged, we'll put it that way. But as you said, that um, in the education system, to some extent, and and, and particularly in, a lot of us were schooled by Christian brothers and what have you. The, the idea of art was um, it was a bit uh, outside what you might call what is expected or the norm, you know? Yeah, it was. It definitely was. Uh, it was almost subversive, you know. And uh, I remember below where I was, when, when I, where I went to secondary school, uh, doing drawings and, you know, between classes and sticking them up on the post because I sat beside the wall, sticking them up on a kind of a nose board and when the teacher came in and taking them down because I didn't want to draw attention to myself really, you know, or to my work. And that was the way it was. And But I'm sure, you know, there are other kind of artsy, people who couldn't at all express themselves and uh, everything was just academic. So that's a pity. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's a pity what it kind of says about the the evolution of uh, of society at that stage, considering the kind of yeah. um, society we had and the involvement of the church. I suppose what would have been really subversive, Mike, was if you went into mass and, as you say, it's the only time people are still and you tried to sketch people in there at the time. Yeah, you couldn't, you know. No, you no, no, sit, no. You have to sit down and stay quiet. No. You left school and um, did you go on to study art then? I did. I, I wanted to study art always. But my one of my parents kind of didn't really, first of all, my dad was really into, you know, and my mom being a practical Irish mom, um, pragmatic, um, said, look, there's no point in it. And, and then they agreed, they agreed that <laughs> I could do it afterwards, you know. So unfortunately, I took a path that I kind of went up, um, that I, you know, I suppose, you know, in many ways, I, 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 I trained as a teacher, unfortunately. And um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the kids, but I don't like the politics of schools and institutions. I've no interest in them. In fact, I'm, I, I like to consider myself disestablished if that's possible. And was it art you taught, Mike? It wasn't. No, no, it was primary. All primary, right. And uh, it, I did a master and stuff like that. And I ended up actually in the Middle East, t- supposed to be teaching science and physics and chemistry and biology as it happened. But sure, I had no interest in it. And yeah, I was friendly enough with the principal, you know, and he put me doing war. There was a huge school, and you can imagine how oh, just blue skies, heat, blank walls. And so I went to Monday and said, well, what are you doing with the walls? Like, because they're, you know, I could do drawings. So I spent a couple of years, like, I'd say maybe four or five years just drawing on. And I had a free range. I could paint anything until, I mean, I was drawing horses and athletes and all the uh, mythological figures figures here you know from marvel movies and like I, I, I had acres probably acres of space just to do anything i like and, and students loved them and the teachers loved them because they hadn't seen anything like this before until i drew a sniper on a wall and uh, i went to principal says before i totally finished the work uh he said um i said you've no problem with that have you he says oh no no i've no problem but my boss might have a problem with it, you know. <laughs> that was that was a raise, you know. So um 
yeah, that's where I learned the craft, really, of doing murals and stuff. But in the meantime, I was back and forth to Ireland because so, I lived in a lot of countries over a period of maybe 12 years, including London and Morocco. And I was in Belgrade and Serbia and I was in not visiting, but actually living there and also Abu Dhabi. And um, I back, of course, I was back in Ireland as well. And I was in, in I went into court for high profile trials. And that was like extraordinary for me. And it began in the courts because I had been knocked off my bike and uh, by, by a truck. And um, I, I, I was in my bed uh, wondering, what the hell am I going to do? In 2009, it was 2000, January 2010. No, December 2009. And uh, the Eamon Lillis case was in, was just beginning. And th- this was the first murder trial, as far as I know, in the new court complex in the CCJ. And the difference now was that, that uh, prison uh, people on, in custody were, were being brought sub, un- underneath the ground into the courts and not from the prison vans, as was the custom up to then. So I said, there must be an opportunity there. So I rang a friend of mine, um, who was a judge, actually, as it happened. And he said, well, yeah, it should be very possible to to draw there, you know, and let me, let me, you know, just off you go. So I started drawing there, and that was that was the beginning of a really interesting journey for me, you know, in the world of court art. Yeah, as it happens, Mike, I actually attended most of that trial myself. Um I didn't see you there. <laughs> I, didn't. I saw you. <laughs> um, the, uh, no, on, on a serious note, that was a trial of a man who was accused of murdering his wife from recollection. And um, yes. the outcome of it, was, it was a very high profile trial and his wife had been a very high profile figure, I think, in, in creative right. media. And yes, she was from yes. a, a sort of a prominent family and, they, God, they went through hell. I mean, the way she died was awful. And the outcome yes. was, I think, a manslaughter verdict. But as you say, that was very um, that was very high profile. And That's just right. sticking with that for one minute, Mike, a couple of things about it. First of all, you, you went in there and you started drawing. Was it mainly the defendant you drew or would you have drawn various people, the judge, the lawyers, anyone, members of the public or whatever? Yeah, so when I started, people amongst the media core, let's say, asked me, I wonder, could you do such and such and such and such? So that trial lasted quite a while, um, and relative, relatively speaking. And um, it was very interesting. There was, a, there was a big cast of characters in it. Um, so I was asked to draw a lot of them. And um, the lawyers, uh, I... I, I somehow um, started drawing the lawyers as well. And they asked me, they began to ask me to draw, you know, each other, let's say, not themselves, but each other. <laughs> so that was another vein in the in that whole. So, so it became not just, say, attention to the accused, but also um, lawyers. And I loved the to, to draw, and always did love drawing the sweeping view of the court. Because it's fascinating. It's like a big stage. But I know that the say the dramatist persona like are are really there. They're they're not acting. They're, you know, fighting their cases and often fighting for their li- lives, you know. So um it's real serious stuff, you know, but it's really intense and you know, drama of the highest order. Oh, yeah. Um 
and the stakes were so high and uh, I like to try and capture the tension and atmosphere of it. And when you when you say there, Mike, so when you say about the lawyers asking to draw each other, do you mean, for instance, one of the lawyers, say Mike Donnell and Mick Clifford are two senior counsel there, would yes. Mike Donnell come up yes. and say draw Mick Clifford and, and vice versa, that kind of thing? Yeah, that kind of, that was something like that, but not, not as simple as that. Right, so right. I would uh, produce stuff and maybe put it on Twitter or whatever and they'd want to buy it. And then, right. you know, as presents for their friend. And then the judges came and wanted, um, most recently, the you know, the jury, the Regency trial judges asked me to draw, to not to draw them, but to provide their, the very same work that um, Jerry Hutch wanted. And um, that was really interesting for me. So, like, I like to think I inhabit different worlds and, um, you, you know, so I can chat with, say, senior counsel one day and next thing I can tra- chat with Jerry Hutch another day. And so I'm not, I, I'm definitely not part of the established order. And I like that, you know, I like the beyond the edges and feeling that I can go practically anywhere, you know, like without people feeling that I'm representing any particular part of the system or anything like that. And I just love that. There's oh, a great it's freedom in that. Absolutely. It's, and let's be honest, yeah. Mike, it's, it's it's from where one gets the best view when you're, when you're standing on the edge or outside from the, the whole thing. Um, yeah, and yeah. now, do you ever, at the other side of the coin, do you ever come across people, are you ever approached in any form or through intermediaries about not drawing someone? No, nobody. Like, no, nobody's asked me not. Although I remember drawing, uh, the only person who ever asked, asked me to be careful was uh, Judge Carney. Paul Carney, the judge. Paul, judge Paul he's Carney, late, yeah. he's deceased now, yeah. The yeah. Late, yeah. yeah. He was very, very kind to me, you know, and, you know, very, he was very, I'm sure you remember, like, very, very imperious. And he wouldn't necessarily, my memory of him was like a, like a, a you know a, a parish priest at mass, looking at all the people inside in the court, like scanning everybody. And whereas now I notice judges, okay, they look, but they send, tend to be taking notes. But he was watching everybody. And during the middle of a rape trial, he he, um, where I was sketching the accused actually, and he said, "Look, uh, just a word to the court artist." And I'm like, you know, all the heads were turning around. Yeah, yeah. I try to be as anonymous as possible, and you know, you know, my work. I try to kind of be very, very quiet and uh, not. Um, I don't want to stand out in any way. But he said, "Look, uh, just be mindful of the, you know, the need to, for anonymity in this case." And I just nodded my head, and all the heads, all the wigs, and all the gowns turned back to Judge Carrick, <laughs> and I climbed out of my hole and. Cut in my drawing so anyway I had a similar experience Mike with the same Judge Carney who, who was he, he was a, a very decent man but as you say he definitely had that countenance of sort of imperious sort of countenance but at, at, at one stage it was in it was in another high profile trial of two sisters who had uh, who were on charge with murder of um, another man and um at one stage, uh, I had written something the previous Sunday in the Sunday Tribune, uh, kind of a profile of Judge Carney, and I made some 
reference to him that I I think it it didn't necessarily annoy him. Maybe he was bemused, but it annoyed him a bit. But he made some reference to oh and not etc cetera, etc. Cetera, as was stated in the Sunday Tribune last <laughs> Sunday, and exactly like you, the whole room, including the defendants, they turned around. Oh man, if there had been a hole there, I'd have been down there like a shot. I mean, I just I just went deep red and very hot. <laughs> but it is an experience when, uh, when the spotlights yeah. when you want to be there beavering away yourself and the spotlight is turned on you you know <laughs> so and tell me this sometimes do you have to work fast I mean is, is there scenarios whereby a, a defendant for instance and if you have a, a commissioner something might be brought in for a, an arraignment or anything and you have to uh, get something done quickly sometimes sometimes um, often I'll arrive on a Monday and the accused might be lined up, uh, essentially, and they're they're in and out of the the, the dock, and that's where I'd have to uh, work fairly fast. Sometimes, if I knew there was a case coming up that was kind of of, of interest, um, otherwise it becomes you know the sketches become studies, as in the case of Jerry Hutchinow and a few others, where I can take my time and uh, you know take a real study of the the accused. Um, but I like when I'm put under pressure. That's why I like to use ink. I don't use pencil. I use ink because um, it ups my game, you know. So I try. To, it means I have to be as precise as possible, you know. And I'm not, I'm not a kind of lazy fair about it, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you commissioned, Mike, or do you go down and do it on the basis that you'd hope or expect a, a, a commission or one of the media outlets? Because there's a bit do. of that. There's, there's a bit of both. Yeah, there's a bit of both for a very high-profile case, and I'd be asked. Other ones that would interest me, I'd, I'd show up and see what happens, you know, because there's a great crack in that as well, you know, and uh, um, uh, that's just the way it is. You know, I'm a freelancer. I'm not appointed by anybody. I'm yeah. my own man like that, you know, so yeah, uh, I enjoy that. There's great, there's great crack in that. Like, I can you know, imagine. If I'm, you know, it's probably like for every freelancer in the country, it's kind of like that. You know, you you are asked sometimes and other times you show up and see what happens and there's great crack in that. It's like going out hunting, you know. <laughs> it is, I swear no, and to, to be fair, when you're dealing with the criminal courts and, and the serious case, it's also very serious. And, and for many of the parties, both victim and defendant, some it's traumatic and what have you as well. You covered another high profile case, and I, as I understand, it might have left a bit of an impression on you that of Aaron Brady, who was the man who was um, charged and subsequently convicted with murdering yeah. a guard. I think it was Adrian Dunn who the guard. Oh, yeah. um, that was a harrowing trial, I'd say. Yeah, it was. It was harrowing. Yeah, because uh, I got the feeling that. Um, so, first of all, just to give you a small bit of yeah. context, my grandfather was a guard, and he he lost his life in the you know not in the line of duty, but he saved some children in Ballybunny. That's how I'm O'Donnell down here in Kerry. Uh, so the family settled here afterwards. So I did. I have a great grow for people who put their lives but in their lives so, for others. Sorry, you know, Mike, just to mention your, your grandfather, you said Bally Bunyan. Was, was it a, a, yeah. a drowning accident? A drowning, yeah. He saved the lives of uh, some teenagers. And when I visited Brian McMahon there a couple of years before he died, sorry, years ago, he told, he said he was on the beach that day. And that uh, there was a there was a young student who spent, a medical student, spent an hour and a half trying to revive my grandfather after. He, he brought in the children, but he went... I think he he brought them into certain was washed out by a wave, but his body was taken in, okay. and they spent hours trying to revive him. And one of them was um, 
uh, a medical student who spent about an hour and a half trying to do so, I suppose CPR or whatever, but he he didn't succeed. So the family had actually had it didn't have them didn't there wasn't enough petrol. It was 1940, a long time ago. They didn't have enough petrol because of the war to go back to Donegal. So they went to to Ballybunion from Cantor because he was his, he was based in Cantor and guard station at the time, and. So the young family, my dad was f- seven, I think, five or seven. And so they witnessed all this and, the, you know, so it was a big tragedy um, for them. But um, so anyway, I have a very strong connection with the the idea of, you know, self-sacrifice mm. and so forth, especially amongst the police. And, you know, to have a guard, you know, shot like that uh, in, in the manner that he was, uh, was you know it's very touching for everybody, but you know I suppose especially for maybe families of police, you know guard get or you know even extended families Absolutely. of guard members. No, you know. So um, I was covering this, and uh, at the time I kind of had the view that he, this person presented very um, d- without any passion or without any emotion or without any remorse. But I have my views on that now. But anyway. Um, that I spent a lot of time at that trial, plus the sentencing. And that was very, very interesting because there was only two journalists allowed in for that for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, for the actual sentencing. So I was lucky enough to be selected. Now, I'm not a journalist, but I'm, mm. uh, I suppose it, I'm, a, I'm communicating, I suppose, you know. So uh, it was packed, and uh, there I was in the jury box looking across at Aaron Brady. At the very, we're, we're, we met eyes. When the when the sentencing when the forty years was was uh, announced by the judge, I think it was Judge McDermott, and that was a very significant moment. But it it seemed you know anybody looking at him would assume you know no notes of this. This was just mm. no big deal. But I have the view, and I saw it in the Pushka trial as well. I was at that recently again at the sentencing meeting eyes, you know, when he was sentenced to life by Judge Tony Hunt. I was looking directly at him like any member of the jury, because there's no juries that sentencing people know. So there I am in a very privileged position. And I again, I see a guy across the way who uh, looks completely, you know, distant and doesn't care, etc., etc. That That is the view, that is the view that one would imagine but then again, who knows, you know, the, the, the what did I say about the face, you know, um, uh, you, you just can't tell. But I'm thinking that, you know, ha- if it was I involved in such a crime, but then I'm only just trying to transpose myself into that kind of situation, I would, it's the last place I want to be, and it's the last place my mind would want to be, you know, going through the minute of victim impact statements and what I just did, you know, or what I did a few years ago. I just wouldn't want to be there. So I think I'd want to, if I could at all, like, you know, distance myself from, that's what I think, you know, but oh, then maybe I'm wrong. Oh, it makes, it makes sense, Mike. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It does. And you, you want to leave mentally that space. And so people might assume that it's, you know, you don't care or you're, you have no remorse, you know, so. Yeah, it, it kind of, uh, you know, that phrase about the eyes being windows to the soul, whether it can be yeah. reflected in that kind of thing, like, you know. Yeah, because I, I think that they make, like, I, I'm very, very keen into eyesight, right? You know, because if you don't get the eyes, you don't get the person, I don't think, anyway. And I do a lot of portrait work, and, like, 
you know, they're they're absolutely crucial. I always start with them. They're the details I start with. And they, but, but I know they reveal, they conceal, they will trick, they will, you know, uh, show most, they'll show all kinds of things. Mm. But they're very, very complicated, <laughs> sophisticated devices. You know, <laughs> we could we could get very deep there. All right, Mike, there's no yeah. question about it. To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Okay, and no, I would guess, you, you tell me, probably the most high-profile case, certainly the most high-profile in the country for an awful long time, mm. was that of Jerry Hutch. It went on yeah. towards the latter half of 22, and the verdict then was in around about April 23. And that, That's of course, right. Jerry Hutch, just for anybody who may not know, was obviously a man very much associated with gangland crime, even though he hadn't been uh, before a court in decades. He, he'd been... Um, the cab, the Criminal Assets Bureau, he, he'd settled up with them. Uh, then it appears he, he got dragged back into it through uh, a feud that involved his nephew and the Hinnahan family. And that one juncture in that whole thing was this attack in the Regency Hotel where one of the Kinahan associates, uh, David Byrne was his name, was murdered by people dressed up as guards, etc. And Anyway, Jerry Hutch was eventually extradited and charged with that at the Special Criminal Court and he was ultimately acquitted. But you obviously, were you down there for much of the trial, Mike? I was, yeah. I, I was there from the beginning um, uh, and did a few, ske- a few sketches and drawings of uh, the three accused. He two yes. kind of any accomplices. There was Bonnie and a Murphy yeah. with him as well. So it was, I love doing, I love doing a few people, you know, it's really interesting. And they were completely different looking people, the three of them. And then I started going out to the judges and going, doing, every, doing everything, the barristers and doing Jonathan Dowdell. And that was like, that was, a, that was just fascinating for me um, because all of them had a huge, you know, Jonathan Dowdell, when he came up, that was massive. There was a massive interest in that. And uh, Jerry Hutch, of course, has a huge, has a, you know, attracted huge uh, attention. But um, yeah, so I started drawing there, and uh, he, 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 I love seeing somebody with kind of dark features, you know. And I, I and then he had very, he looked very, very interesting to me, and uh, the hair and the dark uh, complexion, I like that, and it suits my work. I use a dark ink pen for my work and this everything and I everything seemed to work out for me and then he asked that maybe I'd give him a copy of his uh, signed copy uh, of and his how, how, how did he ask that Mike? You're true uh, his, his legal team oh, so right, they came up right. that's grand out but I you know Mick I wasn't feeling the best at the time because I was I, I had I, I somehow I picked up some kind of infection in my in my hip area you know which is very unusual um, so I ended up from 
the end of December till the, around this time to was it a year ago now? Yeah, I I was two two months in hospital, and uh, that would that meant that I had to just resign from everything like that. And then I came out of hospital, and I fell off my bike and broke my leg, and so I missed the I missed the you know the the say when he left court. I missed that time. Before we get to that, just to. Uh, you, you you mentioned uh, Mike about Jonathan Dodon again. Just on the off chance people don't remember, he was a close associate of Hutch's, who effectively turned state evidence and gave evidence against Hutch, and his evidence was a central plank of the trial. And from what the judges said afterwards in their in their uh, verdict, I, I they, they I don't think they gave him much credibility. But I'd imagine. The scenario when Dowdall was giving evidence and Hutch, along with the other two, sitting on the other side, I, 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 I'd say you're talking about um, drama there, I'd imagine. It was fairly full on. Aye, drama. It was like a Shakespearean turn of events. And not only that, but the three were sitting down, but, but Jerry Hutch changed places so they could look directly across at Jonathan Dowdall giving evidence. And, you know, immediately one would assume this was because, you know, he was very, you know, annoyed at him. But in fact, he, when I met Jerry Hutch later, um, not so long ago now, uh, he, when I was speaking with him, um, he had to look me in the eye because he was a little bit, he's a little bit hard of hearing, you know, so, um, you know, it wasn't anything, I, I imagine it wasn't anything more sinister than that, you know. So um, that was, he told me that himself, you know. And he was wearing headphones as well, you know. Right. So after the trial then, Mike, Jerry Hutch got in touch with you? Yeah, so I ended up in his house. In, and in how, his, how, uh, how, how was communication made with you? I got a message essentially from him, you know. So um, I was interested in doing... Um, Doing okay, so so when I came out of hospital, like I wanted to, I I had this kind of fury to get art done, essentially, you know, <laughs> get Brexit done, get a whole lot of, get a whole lot of art, get a proper exhibition of my work because I hadn't had a public exhibition in many years, and also I had I had a few health scares over the last couple of years, like mad stuff, you know, um, I nearly lost my life a couple of times, and. I wasn't shot or anything, but I, I, I had cancer for a while. Oh, That's gone. For, you know, so every day, every day counts, you know. And that's that, that's really important to me that I live the life that I wanted to, to live. And part of that is ex- producing my work and exhibiting my work and going hell for leather and not wasting a moment, you know. So um, I wanted to do a proper exhibition. And one of the chief characters or person, I should—I don't like the word character, but one of the chief people who would comprise that work would be Jerry Hutch because he, he stood out for me. And the day he came out, uh, the front door of the court uh, was very, very, uh, it, he seemed like a mythological hero to me, you know. Um, and I knew that that was like a special moment. And he was, he re- represented something I think it's the disestablishment, and I think a lot of people um, who are even working in establishment had had a sneaking and you know maybe overt uh, regard for that 
type, you know, he beat the system because, you know, when you go into the special criminal court, the chances of coming out uh, without being sentenced for a long period are very slim. And he he essentially beat the system. And I think Irish people and maybe Kerry people, you know, when you, you when you beat the system, it's it's fantastic. And uh, I wanted to include him or, you know, so I explain that. And he was very uh, accommodating to me as an artist, you know. So. And did you, um, you visited him in his home? I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We arranged to meet in his house. So I was there on a Sunday afternoon. I spent a few hours with him. And did you sketch him there? I did, yeah. I did. And um, I sketched, let's say, I'd say 15 or 16 sketches and then partial sketches. And then, you know, I wouldn't ever do a finished sketch like that, you know, because I knew, like, I did sketches, but I, I kind of did them so that, you know, the way you write a draft and then you'd go over yeah. for your copy and make sure it's right. So that's what I did. Um, and uh, from all different angles, every possible angle I put, and he was fantastic. He was just fantastic. And, you know, he was like a guy who was well used to this, but he wasn't. He never sat for anybody before, except in court. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I, I can't imagine. No, I suppose, look, a few things to say as well, Mike, to be fair. Um, I think a lot of people who would have observed that trial felt that it was the correct verdict in terms of the evidence that had been presented against him and that perhaps a guilty verdict would have been if not a miscarriage, certainly a highly dubious decision. I think a lot of people are satisfied with that, but we wouldn't want to be painting Mr. Hutch now as a, a victim or a, as a, to soft soap. I mean, the man has a record and, and he had, God, he wasn't convicted for very much, but it's been even said in open courts about the Hutch um, crime family, etc. And th- that phrase was used by judges. So he's not... Um, He's not what you might call an innocent abroad, but uh, within the context of that particular trial, I know exactly what you're talking about, and there's uh, there's meaning in that. But I'm fascinated by. And did you give him a sketch himself to hold on to? Oh no, I said to him, "Look, look, I, when I produce the work, I'll definitely give you one." You know, and he never asked for anything. You know, I brought him a uh, apple tar from Kerry, and he seemed very happy with that. You know, and uh, that was it. And there was no. He never asked for anything. But I said, like all of these, like any anybody, anytime anybody sits for me, I'll always say, look, I'll give you some work. But I don't have a radio there and then, and I never show, like, I, because like, <laughs> I think any artist will tell you that, like, you never show your work before it's done, you know, yeah. just like you wouldn't show a copy, you know. So, um, and I wouldn't like you, you know, everybody. The way I the way I treat uh, or, or approach anybody is, I don't treat them as I, I really try to treat them as I find them, and. I suspend any kind of, you know, I think any prejudices I might have or I might hear or, you know, knowledge or, you know, I mean, every saint has a past and I think it was Oscar Wilde said that, but, you know, every sinner has a future too. So I just deal with the moment. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I don't like, I I don't, again, you know, I don't, I don't, to be honest, I hadn't read up too much about him or what he's, I know there was a book. In fact, I saw him reading the book in, during the trial, uh, the book written about him, which was interesting. Um, but I wouldn't, I, I, I really can't um, work if if I know too much or I'm interested in, you know, a person's past. I know it doesn't matter really. Ah, yeah, no, very understandable, Mike, for, in terms of what your, your, in terms of what your brief, yeah. your job is. You, 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 yeah, you, you want thing, a version yeah. of the person physically yeah, as they I are know, there. But I, but I mean, I know people, 
I know, like, you have a lot of knowledge about these things, and I, way more than I would have, you know, these, you know, the, the background, the details of, of, of people on trial and so on. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm in a different sphere, oh, yeah. let's yeah, say. Yeah. You know, Did you get any stick over it, Mike? Well, I didn't beforehand because nobody knew, you know. Yeah. People very close to me were kind of <laughs> amused, let's, let's say. But uh, afterwards, people, yeah, I did, and I felt it. And I'd say I probably... I, I, I did, yeah, I did. People were thought I was kind of weird and gone. Uh, on know, on gone social off. media now or, or in what social form? Social media, yeah. Right. Social media especially, yeah. And I'd be very, I was very careful who I told, you know. And uh, But, you know, it was afterwards. It was like a couple of weeks afterwards, um, uh, I began to kind of say, what's the, you know, kind of domesticate the idea that I, I, I did it, you know, I did this thing, um, which, you know, was probably radical. Um, but uh, I have when I was developing the exhibition I had a friend who was coming in to me regularly who discussed the whole you know the whole what I was at you know and because um, it was he wasn't the only person there was a few other portraits that I did as well and uh, it began to kind of rationalise really you know so that, that helped me absolutely you know, just to, do you know when you're in the middle of something you probably don't see you obviously wouldn't see the full picture no, and, and and you're not there to uh, to paint. I mean, that metaphorically, <laughs> an autobiography or a, a critique no, of somebody. I'm, you're 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 there for the, no. the physical, and people can read what they want into the yeah into the physical. Exactly. But I knew, like I knew that this would be very special. I knew that this would would be in my own say artistic uh, career. Let's say fairly substantial, let's put it like that. And I knew that once it got out that the public interest would be high. I knew that because because um, I was aware of he was he was very significant. And um, he I also was aware that he was very inaccessible. And a lot of people about how would you how would you get how would you get to meet him? How how is this possible? Can we meet him, you know? And artists and journalists and you name it. And and you know I I mean I, I I just that's I'm not um you know I'm just an artist and that's it. Oh yeah, and w- were you able to um to pass him on the finished product? Uh, no, uh, well he's seen it, you know, right. on, on social media. Yeah, no, but I I'm not I I'm not I'm not ready to do that yet. Right, you know? right. But I will. Yeah, I will. yeah, Whenever. yeah. And and in the meantime, uh, Mike, you now have a public exhibition. Is it? I think it is in St John's Centre in in Listowel. Yeah, St. John's Theatre uh, in Listowel. So Jim Sheridan uh, opened that for me last Saturday. And there was, I, I thought, like 20 people was, like there was a preview in Tralee and there was about 20 people or more in Tralee. Uh, I just showed about five of the pieces. And uh, there was about 20, 26 pieces on show in Listowel. So, like, I don't know, maybe 150 or 200 people attended, you know. So I, I was kind of a bit, shocked to be honest when I went in the door I said what are these people here for <laughs> you know so the whole uh, well they have a tradition in Listowel like of appreciation of art in various forms you know yeah yeah but I mean like uh, the security there was there was a guy in security at the door and uh, he rang me when I was going off to the train to collect Jim Sheridan and Dave Merriman who came down and he said there's 20 people at the door. So I, I kind of calculated in my head there's probably 21 people, maybe 22 people at the exhibition, you know. So maybe he was the door was shut. But in fact, there was a huge queue getting in. And uh, 
when I arrived, I was like blown away, literally. Uh, well, not literally, but I was nearly floored, you know. So, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was great, really. And it's going well. Yeah, it's going well. Yeah, it seems to be. I was out there yesterday and it was good fun. Um, but, you know, my mind, no, like, it, it's, I feel, I put a hell of, I put everything into this, you know, Mick. And I was like, I hadn't eaten or sleeping for a long time, you know, and I'd really, like, I didn't want, it, it was like, I, I, I was like, I, I suppose I described myself as kind of like a hungry goat coming down from the mountain, like puck fair, you know. I'd given everything I had, and uh, there I was. And But in the middle of it, um, a young lad came up to me, and he was telling me a story about his mother, you know, and uh, a very sad story. And in one sentence, he kind of reverted my mind to my next exhibition, which is about the physical abuse in schools over the over the over the years you know so uh, my mind now is kind of i'm kind of turning the oil tank around my own head to this new exhibition so i think that's the way i work you know so and and so just briefly on on that mike like you have an idea about various images in that or do you work from photographs like you you talk about the physical abuse in schools and and, and, yes. and you, you do you create it in your mind or do you work from photographs and, and you're going to put them together as, as a themed exhibition? Yeah. So during the last few months to take a break from the portrait work, I was doing these uh, drawings. See, when every time, I make, every time I wash my hands, right, and I'm looking at it now, I have a white mark in my hand, right? And that's from, it's a visible, very visible white mark. And I wash my hands constantly because my hands are full of paint because I'm constantly producing work. And I'm looking at it now, there's a white mark on my hand and it's from six slaps on each hand from a teacher who I've just got my science copy on a Tuesday afternoon and a wet Tuesday afternoon, went home, came back and I forgot my bloody science copy and uh, I was beaten. This was back about 1982, around the time corporal punishment was was banned. And so I'm reminded every day of the pain uh, that people endured. So... Uh, I had some wicked teachers, like you know, like everybody I suppose my age would have had at times, and um, the humiliation and abuse was 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 rampant, and it's it's no wonder people emigrated and went off to different parts of the world to escape this 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 t- savage systematic uh, oppression, daily, day constant uh, humiliation and degradation, dehumanization, brutality, there's a whole lot of words for it, that that our own people suffered, you know. And for example, I, I could, there's loads of examples, but what I did was uh, I did a few drawings, put them out on social media. Then I got a whole, a, a, a sea of accounts, personal vivid accounts of this kind of abuse. And just very short, a few sentences and people who told me stories they'd never, ever told anybody before, you know, that happened to them at school. And it was like, so I, so I visualized them in my own head, produced as, as vivid drawings as I possibly could, put them back out in social media. So there was a, that fed more stories. So over the last few months, I, I easily 40 drawings done, colored and, and, they're re- practically ready for ex- exhibition. And at this exhibition, a young man came up to me, you know, during the opening. And Jim Sheridan was right beside me. And we were chatting and he came up and he says, um, Mike, you know, my mother was brought every Friday. She was in an, an orphanage here in, in, in Tralee. And she was brought every Friday 
by by the nuns to to a big cross in the convent and given her weekly beating, you know. And um, this was this brought me down to to earth again, and uh, you know reminded me that um, I must get back to this very important story that hasn't, as far as I know, been represented artistically in our culture and in in our in our history, you know. And it's very recent. It's in within living memory. And then, like, the stories are just extraordinary. And the reaction I got from people was some, uh, I got a message from a school saying, go easy on us. You know, we're only, we're still hurting here as teachers. And this just infu- absolutely infuriated me because I was thinking, what about the hurt of the victims? And then I'm aware that, you know, from my friends that there's inherited trauma as well. And, you know, I'm in a privileged position that I can kind of um, express this uh, hurt um, visually in a way that connects with people that didn't some didn't connect with them before, because people live in a very visual world and their attention spans are very quick. So an image can kind of hit home much faster than it used um, one couple just to, to I was at the preview of, our, of the current exhibition. A couple came up to me um, and said that their friend visited the house and said, is, is Michael Donald gone mad? Because he's posting stuff on, on, on social media about this abuse stuff, you know. And they showed him a picture of, of a teacher kicking a little boy in class. And they said he transformed back into a little boy in fourth class when he saw this image. It was so impact. It impacted him so much, you know. And I said, you know, my my art, the purpose of my art is to move minds and spirits. And, you know, when I hear something like that, it's achieved its purpose. So this exhibition, if the Jerry Hutch, say, the Jer- the released exhibition is stole, you know, Jerry Hutch and so on, if that has moved people, this will move them further again. Absolutely, Mike. Um, and very much look forward to that. It's fantastic Uh Fantastic that you're you, you, you're presenting that creatively, as you say. I, I I can't recall others doing something in that vein, and as you say, it's an integral part of the culture. Um, and it's great personally, and I'm not trying to flatter you, but that somebody like yourself in the modern culture is bearing witness in a particular way that is unique and vital, and perhaps because things are so all over the place in so many ways, perhaps not appreciated enough as it might have been at previous points in our history. But good luck with the current exhibition, Mike, uh, that's released in St. John's Centre in Listowel. And we look forward to your next exhibition. And um, if I if I pro- if I I promise to be good, you'll come back on the podcast with us when that comes out, will you? Absolutely. <laughs> You're always good, mate. Mike O'Donnell, <laughs> thank you very much for very joining much. us today. Thanks, mate. Take care. Folks, I'd also like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with you soon. Take it easy. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.